Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. There are no girls on the internet. We'll be back with a new season soon. But until then, and in honor of homecoming, enjoy this special mini celebration of women using technology to make change on the campuses of historically black colleges. We'll be back for our regular season soon. There are no girls on the internet as a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. The internet is ephemeral. How can you archive something that happened on social media or something that existed completely online? That's actually one of the reasons why I created this very podcast. I saw all the ways that underrepresented communities contribute to the internet and technology, but I saw those same contributions being overlooked or forgotten. I didn't want them to fade away. 
audio was a bit like that too. Tape fades, hard drives crash, and pieces get lost forever. In the age of searching text, audio is that much harder to hold on to. But there's something magical about the medium of audio. Hearing someone tell their stories in their own words just hits differently. That's why it's so important that we be intentional about whose voices we preserve. Jocelyn Robinson is an audio producer and preservationist, and she has longstanding roots in the museum community. What if, she thought, we could survey the audio archives of the voices and stories housed at radio stations on the campuses of historically Black colleges and universities, or HBCUs? So in her late 50s, she quit her day job, went back to school, and made it her mission. Jocelyn served as the very first archives fellow at Dayton, Ohio's only national public radio station, WYSO, where she produced Rediscovered Radio, a series built around WYSO's civil rights era audio. Now, Jocelyn works with HBCUs to start a dialogue around preserving the audio at their radio stations. Her work is grounded in making sure we preserve our stories, and in doing so, that we preserve the magic of audio. So how did you get into your work preserving audio at historically Black colleges? In 2013, I took a, an audio production course at the local public radio station, and I just got bit by the bug. And by 2015, I had quit my day job and was producing part-time and, and teaching part-time. And um, I had always in the back of my mind had this idea that um, I, you know, would, would love the, the thought of doing long form audio at HBCUs because it's not something that's typically taught in mass communications courses and, and programs. And at, when I was working initially, um, I used uh, some archival audio from WYSO that is mainly from the 60s and 70s into the 80s. Um, and so it reflected the, the civil rights era and also the movement into black nationalism, the, the peace movement, um, uh, you know, anti-war movement of the 70s. And I just became enamored of, of um, historical materials, kind of related to my background in the museum community. There's around 100 roughly HBCUs in existence today, and a third of them, just about, have radio stations. And I thought, you know, if WISO has this kind of material, um, it was also a college radio station initially at Antioch College in Yellow Springs. If, if that college radio station has such incredible material, and I mean, it's incredible material, and the, the, the voices of, of people who um, were significant from those periods are, are represented there, as well as the history of the local area and the college and, and the state and, you know, what was going on in the world. But I thought HBCUs, being the crucible of the civil rights movement in so many ways, must have some materials too. And so I'd, I, had, I had thought about it. And when I quit my day job, I went back to school and got a grad certificate in public history with a, with a focus on archives so that I would be knowledgeable about the archival process and about the materials and, and, and their preservation. And um, in the course of doing that, I kind of fell into uh, a, a preservation act activity that was um, uh, initiated at the uh, 
uh, Library of Congress, um, the Radio Preservation Task Force. And, uh, and that just opened up this whole uh, world of people who were seeking out and figuring out how to preserve and use these materials um, all over the world. So I was aware of this, uh, this world, but I became um, kind of immersed in it. And I became a member of the um, African-American and Civil Rights Radio Caucus of the Radio Preservation Task Force and went to conferences and did presentations with this idea that um, wouldn't it be great if we could survey the materials at historically black colleges and universities, and someday if I can find the funding for it, that's what I'm going to do. Jocelyn got a grant from the National Recording Preservation Foundation to survey HBCUs about what kind of audio were housed at their campus radio stations. How tragic is it to think that an audio recording of Rosa Parks could be collecting dust in some campus basement somewhere? Well, Jocelyn wanted to make sure these radio stations had access to the ability to archive their audio. What I found was that um, radio stations at most colleges are not necessarily included in the institutional records management or preservation efforts that the, that the college normally takes, takes on. And that it was an opportunity to connect the radio stations with the institutional archives on their campuses and at least get a dialogue going, if not get the institutional archives to take on the task of preserving the audio, audio material. So what was it exactly about HBCUs? Why did you feel like it was so important to be doing that work on HBCU campuses? Having a sort of an intimate understanding of the, the challenges that are faced by HBCUs and also their importance to um, the American higher education um, landscape, but, uh, and to um, our communities. I mean, there were times when, you know, teachers, doctors, um, lawyers, um, engineers were, were, you know, trained primarily at HBCUs. And, um, and that's one of the things that distinguishes uh, a historically black college from a, a predominantly white institution. So, um, so to me, they are precious. They are sacred ground. And, um, and they are in their communities. Um, and, you know, here in Ohio, we're a bit isolated. But as I got to know the other, um, uh, my, my counterparts at, at other campuses and got to know their, their, their institutions, you know, and realizing how important they are to um, Black people in this country and particularly in the Southeast, they are hallowed ground, and, and anything that took place there is, is worthy of, of, of uh, not just preservation, but also um, uh, honoring to, to, to look to it as, a, as an example of resilience. I don't know that we can even imagine, um, those of us who do not live in um, the uh, former um, you know, Confederate states, what life was like and, and how our institutions, um, our churches, our, our communities, but, but especially centered around um, our, our historically black campuses were refuges, uh, um, places of, uh, you know, where uh, the, the, the intellect and ingenuity and um, creativity of, of black people could um, shine and thrive. And, um, you know, that, that's an important um, legacy to, to honor. And 
with audio, it's such a, an intimate and, um, uh, you know, emotionally charged, um, medium. And I think that, um, you know, finding materials, which is very difficult. Radio is ephemeral and, um, and not a lot of recordings, uh, were, were made at times. Making recordings is, was expensive. You know, a quarter inch tape was expensive. The playback equipment was, was, um, you know, expensive and, and, and maybe few and far between at times that changed, you know, when the, when cassettes became, um, uh, more, um, prominent, but, but certainly when it was uh, reel to reel, you know, that's a big bulky machine with a big bulky tape. So, um, you know, to try to find anything. And, and also, you know, the thing about radio stations uh, is that they often change format when, when the license changes hands. And what happens is whatever was happening before kind of gets swept up and thrown out into the dumpster. So to make sure that, that anything that might be of significance at an HBCU radio station is, you know, found and, and preserved is, is kind of, that's it, a mission for sure. Audio is a special medium. That intimacy is one reason why I became a podcaster in the first place. Hearing someone tell their story is just different than reading it in print. Through her work, Jocelyn preserves this intimate magic for future generations. I often wonder if listening, if, if people listening to two audio producers talk about audio production is, is like, boring. But I have to say, when you talked about the intimacy of the medium of audio, like that's what made me fall in love with it. And I'll never forget um, my grandmother. She's now passed away. She is from Charlotte, North Carolina, and she is a, you know, uh, black Southern matriarch of a big Southern family. And the University of North Carolina reached out to her to do this archival project where she sat down and, and talked about her life with a researcher. And I had read clips of this before and I, I really enjoyed reading it. But one day I found the audio of her, of her telling the, of her telling these stories and it, something about hearing her voice was so different. You know, I had, I had read, I had read what she had said before, but hearing her say it in her own words, I just have, I've always felt that there's something intimate and magical about the medium of audio. Just you know, it's so intimate, it's in your ears, and it just can hit your, can hit you in a different way, I feel. And I don't know, I guess I've always, when people ask, you know, why audio, I never really have a good answer, but I think it just always comes back to that intimacy. Well, one of the things that creates that intimacy, if you think about it, is that if we're thinking of other media, and we're thinking of, especially a visual media, what you see is what is in the frame. What you see is what uh, the, the, the person who made that image, or whether it's moving or, or not, but what the person, you're seeing what the person that made that image um, chose for you to see, what they curated for your eyes. And with audio, I tell people, you can't use Photoshop on audio. <laughs> you, cannot, you cannot change what you, what you hear. Microphones are dumb. They're not smart. They pick up everything. So what you hear is what was heard. You hear all of it. You hear the train whistle in the background. You hear the sirens. You hear the birds singing or the crickets chirping. And so not only do you hear all of that, you hear the emotion in someone's voice. You hear them take a breath 
and think about what it is they're about to say, you hear them choke up, you hear them laugh, you know, so it's, and, and you hear it all um, without a filter, the same way that, that, you know, that with a visual, um, that image is curated. So, um, so I think that that's what creates that sense of, of, of total experience, even though um, it's just coming through your ears. And, and there's something about that vibration that, you know, it's on a vibrational level, you know, that even in a recording, even in a facsimile, you can, um, you can feel that vibration. When I first got into podcasting, I was very self-conscious because I was very new at it. And so I would try to edit my audio to make it seem as though, you know, I was just the most well-spoken person. I never, you know, used a filler word. I never caught, like, stopped and restarted. I never had to catch my breath. I never, you know, cleared my throat while I was thinking. And it's funny because those are all the little markers of somebody figuring something out in real time. And that's actually why you listen to audio because you get these unfiltered, unedited moments that don't, that you, that aren't Photoshopped, like you said. And I think the more that I, re- when I realized that the, the reason why I like audio is because you get to hear the, the crickets chirping and the this and the that and allowing that, those little nuances to, to stay in my own audio, it really just, it, I feel like it all clicked for me. It really, it really helped me in, in, the, in the craft of audio storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's, I think what it does is it, it helps us stay in touch with our humanity. You know, it, 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 even, if it's, even if something we're listening to is, is highly um, uh, produced, um, you still get that, that sense that, that uh, you know, you're, you're hearing it. It's a, hearing is, and, and, and listening are active you know, um, sorts of things. It's that you're not passive. You have to, you have to pay attention. You know, you have to, you, you, you have to let your brain, um, absorb, uh, you know, what's being heard and, and, and make sense out of it. So, that, I mean, I think there's a humanness to, to, um, uh, audio work that, that really, um, you know, kind of transcends, uh, the fact that we are, using these highly technical and, and, you know, technological um, tools to, to um, preserve it and, and um, disseminate it. More after this quick break. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls code nogirls. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. 
It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. Let's get right back to it. So do you have a, maybe do you have an example of like, a favorite piece of audio that you have found in your work or one that stuck with you? Um, wow. That might be a big question. That's a big question. You know, I, I spend so much time um, listening that um, I listen to a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that's what, what I love about the archival audio, actually, is that it transports me, you know, I, it takes me back to a place. There is um, a, uh, I think it was probably a, a Pacifica produced um, interview with Maya Angelou that just, you know, still knocks my soft socks off. And it's, it's, uh, it was part of WYSO's collection because back in the day, um, uh, folks used to swap tape. So it was a tape that ended up somehow in WYSO's um uh, tape library, 
but was produced um, at, I believe, at WBAI, if I'm not mistaken. So it was, it was, um, you know, from from years past, and she sings on it. Um, wow. She she not only speaks her poetry, but she also sings a spiritual. This is Uprising. Up next, the late great Maya Angelou. It's in the reach of my arms. The span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips, cause I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman, that's me. If you listen to it again, and you know, as we were just saying, you hear everything in her voice, you hear her life in her voice, you hear the black experience in her voice. It's just... Um, Yes, it's transportive. It's it's transcendent. So uh, transformative. Um, yeah, that's that's one of my favorite pieces of audio for sure. According to the Women's Audio Mission, a nonprofit that trains women engineers and producers, less than five percent of the people creating the sounds, music, and media that make up the daily soundtrack of our lives are women or gender nonconforming folks. And as a podcaster. I know that our audio landscape definitely skews white and male, but it also tends to skew young, a dynamic that Jocelyn, who quit her day job to train as an audio producer in her late 50s, challenges. So what was it like getting involved in audio production as a woman in her late 50s? Well, what I felt like I was bringing to the table was a, you know, a lifetime of experience. So... The technical part of it was not a, a big stretch for me. Um, and in fact, you know, the first time I sat down with Hindenburg and started to um, edit my own tape, um, it, you know, I was, I was in the zone. <laughs> I was in the flow, all, I mean, almost immediately. So um, I, I, I'm a musician, I, you know, I, I've, I've done um, other creative um, pursuits in my life. and. Um, and it was, you know, I, I recognized pretty quickly that I was doing something that was um, filling my heart and soul in ways that other things I had been doing um, was not. So, um, you know, so so the that part of it came pretty easily. And then because I was working in some community-based, um, you know, production um, uh, areas, it wasn't really a, um, an issue so much that um, here was this person who in her, in her 50s just, you know, just starting out. And I had a lot of success pretty early on because I was doing work that I knew. I had a, um, a series called Rediscovered Radio in which I took the archival audio at WYSO and um, used it to uh, make short pieces, um, short documentary pieces that aired, um, on the radio station, you know, during the, um, drive time shows. So during morning edition and uh, all things considered. So I learned to work with the, with the NPR clock almost right away. Um, I was doing interviews as well as, um, contextualizing the historical audio and putting it all together. And, um, that the first I did two seasons of it. So, um, you know, I, I've done dozens and dozens of them. So I got to work at the craft 
um, like hands-on, um, already producing for air material that, um, you know, uh, was, um, you know, the, the, the kind of pr production work that I think you, you don't necessarily get to do even as a young person. I was, I was the producer of, 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 of the series. I was able to take the maturity that I had from the other parts of my life, plus the fact that, you know, I'd been this high-level administrator and I know how to get things done. Um, so I didn't have a, a, a lot of, of um, downtime or, you know, I, when I jumped into it, I really got to jump into it. So, so there was that. But I, I have seen a, 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 what I would consider ageism in the, in the field. And in fact, that's a conversation that we're having at AIR right now uh, about what that looks like. And um, not only for people newly entering the field in a, in a, a, a pivot you know, in, their, in their careers, but, but people who have been in the business for many, many, many years and have weathered all its changes as, as it has progressed and are finding themselves now getting boxed out or, or overlooked um, for something younger, newer, fresher kinds of things. So you know, I think because I work with historical materials and I have a, a, a certain amount of, of um, firsthand knowledge of some of the uh, events and, and, and so forth, um, you know, it, it has served me really well. But, uh, you know, I also have found that I need to push my, um, uh, my skill set and my, my producing chops. I have to just keep pushing it um, beyond that so that I'm doing work that is um, – um, you know, topical and, um, you know, again, new and fresh and, 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 you know, keeping not just myself, but listeners um, engaged with what's going on in the world. So, um, yeah, I've just been really fortunate. Uh, it's, it was all kind of a, a, a perfect storm of, of goodness. <laughs> That's <laughs> the, best, the best kind of storm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you talked about ageism and how, I, I don't know, I guess I feel like we have this, this very pervasive culture where we're obsessed with 30 under 30 lists and people who, who are sort of young and successful and that's a that's a great story but it does just it does discount the wisdom and the skill set and the experience that comes with age and i feel like we are so obsessed with youth that we can overlook that yeah if you if you came to audio production in your 50s that would mean that you would come with an entire skill set you know of an and like a, a like many years of experience and i think that because we're obsessed with youth we don't allow for that to be as meaningful and as good of a thing as it really truly is. Oh, no, no doubt. You know, and, and a lot of that is very cultural. And, you know, I mean, it, one of the, the, the things that I have been working with lately has been community-based storytelling projects. And, um, and much of that is focused on gathering and preserving and sharing the stories of elders and going back to, um, you know, a, a, a cultural mindset in which the, the wisdom of elders is held in high esteem. And, um, and that is, you know, very much a, um, a, a, a traditional, um, uh, traditional communities hold um, elders in high esteem. And, um, you know, trying to move back toward that, I think, is very important. But, you know, work with oral histories and 
um, with, uh, you know, interpreting some of the, say, for instance, interpreting some of the events that some of the historical audio might um, uh, be representing is, is, you know, who better than someone who was actually there and who experienced it, you know, in, in their own lifetime. So, you know, really honoring the, the, the voices and the stories of, of elders is, is part of this work and finding that, you know, many of those elders are quite capable of, of um, you know, producing and being, um, you know, active participants in that story gathering and that storytelling. So, um, you know, that's, I think, really important work. But, but, but truly, it's, 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 very, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cultural thing in the U.S. for sure. It, it's not quite as, um, I think, uh, you know, intense in other places as it, it, as it really is here. It definitely is a, a, a cult of youth in, in the U.S. And, um, you know, I, one of my favorite things to, to tell people is like there's this old Richard Pryor bit where the, the junkie and the wino are talking. And the junkie says something him to something to him of the effect uh, it's like you old fool, and the the wino says boy you don't get to be old being no fool. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I have to I have to tell you. I mean I I hope this isn't like too much information, but um, I'm speaking to you today from my brother's condo in Richmond, Virginia, and okay. I, I live in Washington D.C. And um, the reason why I'm here is because our father. Um, had a had an unexpected health emergency, so I'm here so that I can take care of him um, while he's been in the hospital this week. And he's he's on, on the upswing; he's doing much better. But okay. when I brought him in on when he came to the hospital on um, Monday night, and he was not doing so well, all I could think was that I wish I had brought my recorder so that we could have a conversation, so that I could remember, like I could hear his stories and get them on audio. Like that was all I could think was, God, I wish I had my recorder. God, I wish I had my recorder so that we could, ha- we could, you know, have a conversation because I often worry that, you know, we all love to have our elders in our lives. And then when they pass on, we would like, it would be, how meaningful would it be to be able to have an archival of those stories in their own words? That was all I could think was like, I hope I haven't missed my chance to to get his stories on audio. That was like the the, the number one thing in my mind. Never leave home without it. That's, <laughs> that's a, what I'm that, learning. <laughs> that's a that's a producer trick. It, I mean, it, it, and and sometimes I'm like, why am I hauling this stuff around? I don't use it. It's here, you know. But but I have a bag that I love that has my my um, my kid in it and. I just make sure that if I'm going to be someplace where I don't know what's going on necessarily, um, that it's in the car. You know, I just it's I it, I just take it with me everywhere. But the other thing is, you know, um, you have a recorder probably you know in your back pocket, and done um, done right, you can capture some pretty decent audio with a smartphone. And um, so in a pinch, you, you've got something right there that, that you could use. And, um, you know, StoryCorps has done a, a marvelous job of, of making it possible, you know, democratizing the, the whole notion of, of, of preserving uh, stories. And, um, 
their their um, interface for uh, recording is is really really good. But you can get a, a pretty decent recording if you have an iPhone with um, um, voice memo. So voice memos is a, is a you know perfectly good uh, recorder. On this podcast, I try to what I try to do is sort of create a kind of audio archive of underrepresented people and their contributions to technology, to digital culture, to internet culture, specifically because I feel those things can be kind of ephemeral. They can, you know, the the internet changes so quickly and people forget about what came before. And so um, I wanted to chronicle some of this. What what would your, your advice be to make sure that more underrepresented communities and voices are having their stories included in records and archives um, so that we know they existed? Well, particularly with um, podcasts, there are a number of people who are developing um, um, podcast archives. And um, seeking those folks out is, is important. But also public libraries are, are, are undertaking some uh, uh, audio preservation. We work with the Green County Public Library here to um, preserve some of the digitized material from um, the WISO collection, which um, uh, which includes uh, uh, oral histories and and so forth from the civil rights era. So so making sure that you you know, approach your um, existing institutions to be able to um, make sure that they're including your materials in their collections as as a member of that community, um, I think is is an important important thing to do. Um, and I think that that's something that archivists as a profession are looking at more of knowing that they are gatekeepers for cultural materials and knowing historically what that has meant, which has mean, which in which, you know, white supremacy has created barriers to that, um, uh, material being, uh, collected and preserved. So, you know, there are many, many archival uh, projects and, and archives uh, that are, I think, opening their collecting, um, uh, you know, policies to uh, to right wrongs that have been uh, perpetrated in the past. So I think it's a changing um, situation, but but certainly, again, you know, the HBCU community is a place where our stories are are are. Um, important and are, um, are, are considered, uh, you know, worthy of, of preservation. And once again, I can't sing the praises of something like uh, a, a community-based project um, that I'm doing um, it, at uh, West Dayton Stories, which is working with the, the African-American communities in, in, in Dayton, Ohio, to um, collect and preserve stories. Uh, or... Um, uh, what StoryCorps can do with community-based projects. Um, they have a whole tutorial that can teach an organization about how to um, collect and gather stories and preserve them through the StoryCorps at the Library of Congress or, um, you know, through their own um, means in the libraries or what have you in the, in the community. So, uh, you know, there's that. But I think part of it, too, is there's an understanding, um, you know, that that materials are... Um, somewhat ephemeral um, themselves, Uh, you know, uh, magnetic tape deteriorates. 
uh, color photographs fade, um, you know, uh, film uh, sticks together and can no longer be played or even digitized. And the whole digital environment also um, is not permanent. There, you know, if you have materials that are uh, preserved, so, so you think, <laughs> on a, a hard drive, and that hard drive fails, that material is gone forever. So, you know, digital um, preservation is as a whole world unto itself. And, um, you know, look for uh, libraries often will have, um, you know, little preservation workshops for families and and individuals. And and sometimes there's a lot to be found there. But then there are some wonderful websites that have, um, you know, material uh, that people can um, use. read to, to figure out how to preserve their photographs or preserve their um, old tapes or, 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 or what have you. And the Library of Congress has a really good website for that. So, you know, there's, there's information out there, um, but it really does help to talk to somebody who's in the know. And oftentimes that's, you know, somebody you can find at your local library. I love how oftentimes it always comes back to libraries. Like we forget what a resource they are. Oh, they're they're so important, you know. Um, yeah, they they are uh, community touchstones for sure, and in, in many communities, and you know, it's it's really one of those places where where civic life can can take place, um, and that's their charge, and that's that's what they're there for. So it's not just a repository for for books, but um, and, and reading material, but uh, there's so many other things. And, and today's libraries are places where there are maker spaces and they have podcasting studios and they do training in podcasting and or audio or oral history gathering and, and all of those things. So, you know, they're really great resources for, for all of it. Yeah, I mean, you're a great resource, too. You've really created this model of how institutions can be thinking about preservation and how all of us can be thinking about preserving the stories for our own families and our own communities so the next generation can learn from them when we're gone. So, you know, to that end, what do you hope that people say about your work 100 years from now? Well, I, I hope that, for one thing, the, that the HBCU um, materials are, are still available and accessible to students and, and researchers and um, community members to, to, to tap into, to, to know what life was like um, in, in some respects before, you know, the, the civil rights movement was able to um, turn a, a tide um, of experience for black people in America and, and what happened throughout that and, and then beyond. And, um, you know, if you don't pay attention to history, you're doomed to repeat it, of course. And, and, and that's something that I think we're realizing today uh, that we are experiencing um, because we haven't paid good paid ten, good enough attention. We haven't paid attention well enough to, to what's happened in the past and, 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 and what's been done in the past. And, and, you know, that's an important thing to do. So, you know, a hundred years from now, I wanted to start with the HBCUs, but I'm also hoping that, that the model that we set through the projects that um, are, are about preserving um, radio material from historically black colleges and universities it it was a model for for others to follow and that other marginalized and and um uh you know others whose whose voices have been left out of the the american dialogue have 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 a a, a 
a template to follow so that they too can, can preserve their voices. Our voices and our stories matter. Preservation isn't just for institutions. We should all be thinking about preserving the stories in our communities and our families for future generations to come. Don't let them fade away. We hope you enjoyed this special celebration of women making change at HBCUs. We'll be back with more There Are No Girls on the Internet soon. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangodi.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com.